ready for round two. Well, as I mentioned before, um, good to be got some time away as a pastor's family. We always have a weird timing for uh, our kids are, are still in school, and it's, it's, you know, most families travel when their school breaks, but those just happen to coincide, like with my two most busy times of the year. And so we try and sneak away during other parts of the year, like this, this last week, which also was a school break. And so we uh, visited some family. Corey's family is, she's from Southern California, the San Diego area. And so here's us in Pala, California, somewhere on a, on a trail in a dry riverbed, which probably two days after we were there was full of water, right? And the next picture, uh, Corey's, Corey's brother now lives in LA. And so this is in front of where the Oscars are held, the uh, TLC Chinese Theater. I can't remember what the first three letters are. Uh, but that's on Hollywood Boulevard, uh, right in Hollywood. And, and that was an experience. Never been there before to Hollywood. Um, you know, it's one of the best people watching spots in existence. If you've ever been there, you're laughing. You know exactly what I mean. Uh, but just a, just a good, beautiful, warm day. Uh, good to be with family. And so excited also to be back home. I mean, like... I, it might have been the next day or two days after we were there, there was, we, we went up to the, or we were looking at the Hollywood sign, and then, you know, it's like covered in snow and fog. Two days later, that was, that was pretty crazy. Well, as I mentioned before, this is the first Sunday in Lent, uh, really a six-week journey as, as we as Christians kind of head towards the cross and this experience of Easter, which started out in tragedy as Jesus was killed and ended in his glory as we believe he rose from the dead. God resurrected him. And a few weeks ago, I was starting to prepare for these Lenten sermons. And the first idea happened to be, we're going to do a sermon series on the book of Leviticus. And I know that that sounds like, if you know anything about the Bible, you're like, you're going to do what? Uh, We're going to do the book of Leviticus, because Leviticus is really about atonement. And the work of Jesus the once and for all death of Jesus covered over our sin. And so uh, atonement is really, really important for us as people, but especially as, as Christians. And so now we're freed from having to make personal sacrifices periodically to cover over our sin. We're, we're now freed to actually have a connection, a relationship with God. And so that's why we were thinking, oh, Leviticus, this would be awesome because this book has so much to do with that. Um, But as I was starting to prepare for this series, I kind of didn't feel settled with the whole idea. And then Pastor Angela came to my rescue. She passed on a new Bible study uh, produced by She Reads Truth, actually the one that uh, one of the women's studies is doing. And it was uh, called Prayer and Scripture. And so this idea hatched in my mind that prayer, hey, That would make a wonderful topic, a wonderful idea for the season, a focus during Lent. And specifically, Jesus on prayer. It even fit in my mind, as um, I know most of you won't remember what we did last year during Lent, because I have trouble remembering what I had for breakfast this morning. But I do remember stuff like this. And last year during Lent, we did a series called Jesus Says. And it was kind of Jesus on Jesus. The statements that he, he makes, like, I am... I mean, he makes like, I think there's eight of them. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the resurrection. I am the bread of life. I mean, he has all these amazing statements. 
Uh, it's Jesus on Jesus. And so this would head in a whole new direction. It would kind of be Jesus on prayer. And so that's where we're headed now. Why prayer? Well, prayer is essential for all people of faith. Of course, lots of people. Lots of people pray. And uh, not just Christians, but people of all sorts of religious backgrounds and cultural um, traditions. In fact, we probably have something to learn from the millions and billions of people who pray, especially in terms of its like ongoing practice and maybe even their commitment, which I sometimes feel like I'm lacking when it comes to prayer. And you know, I've never felt threatened, as I know some others feel, by the fact that lots of people of various world religions pray. Well, think about how many billions of Hindus and Muslim people and Buddhists, people of the Jewish faith. I mean, even cavemen, right? To me, prayer points to being made in the image of a creator. And human beings have been separated, distanced from him. And there's something lingering there. A creator who, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, has also set eternity in the human heart. However, what makes prayer distinctly Christian is who we're praying to. We're not praying to some nameless deity. We pray to a God who is revealed to us in the Bible. The God of the people of Israel who has a name, Yahweh, whose all-powerful presence everywhere is actively engaging with us as individuals all the time. And what I find most interesting about God, our God, is that he's personal, not in a narcissistic, hey, this is my own personal deity, I'm going to carry him around wherever I go sort of way. No, he's personal. God knows us and wants us to know him, to know and be known. He has a name. Christians further believe that this God revealed himself in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus calls God his father, he taught his followers to pray to God our Father. And we've come to understand as Christians that God exists in three persons, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this belief, belief in a triune God is what we call it, really sets us further apart from other religious faiths that even look Christians. For example, our cousins, the Mormons, they don't believe in this relationship quite like we do between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for a follower of Jesus, these seemingly ultra-fine points of theology do make all the difference. And while we may not have a corner on the human practice of prayer, we can learn much from Jesus' prayer practice as a human. And so that's where we're headed. Because Jesus prays a lot. And as a follower of Jesus, if I wanted to pray, what can I learn from him? 
What can I learn from Jesus' rhythm of prayer, the content of his prayers, the teachings on prayer? How can I pray like Jesus? I mean, can I better understand how to bring my whole self, my emotions, my desires, my struggles, my experiences, how can I learn to bring those before God? And so our first lesson this morning has to do with pilgrim prayers. It's like we talked about a few minutes ago. It has to do with the journey that we're on, both in our life and in our faith. And you may have noticed that Jesus is often... He's often, often, often on the go. You know, we should feel a kindred spirit with Jesus just in the fact of how frantic our lives feel from day in and day out. And when we read the Gospels, we look at this frenetic pace of Jesus' life and ministry. You know, the Gospel writer Mark, he was a close associate of the disciple Peter. And Mark often uses a particular adjective to describe the nonstop pace of Jesus' ministry. You might already know this. He uses the word immediately. Immediately, Jesus this. Immediately, Jesus that. Immediately, immediately, immediately. He uses it 41 different times. It's a lot. Mark's gospel is an action thriller with Jesus moving from house to house, crowd to crowd, town to town. Jesus is walking, teaching, fishing, healing, challenging, miracle performing, eventually dying and rising. But don't miss that Jesus is also praying. Praying often. We see it in places like Mark chapter 1, verse 33. Put this on the screen for you. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. These are just kind of filler almost. Easy to mix. Here's another one. Luke 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Or in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with him, went up on a mountaintop to pray. Or another example, Matthew 14, verse 23. After he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. There's more of these. They're not four descriptions of the same day or the same event. These are four separate times. Notice how the practice of prayer prayer is stitched into Jesus's daily routine. It's just there. It's part of the woodwork. It's easy to miss. You know, the Jewish people of Jesus's day, I mean, they observed hours of prayer. You know, there was there was morning prayers, there was midtime, uh, you know, midday prayers, there was the vespers, the afternoon prayers, there was evening prayers, prayers before went to bed, there was midnight prayers. I mean, there was lots of prayer. And so Jesus, as a Jew, would have just done this. All of the disciples, same thing. All of the first Christians, the early church, same thing. This is just stitched into their daily routine. Jesus is on the go, and still Jesus prays. Clearly, Jesus had a habit and a rhythm. We might call it a prayer life. Or maybe it's a life of prayer. You know, 
As a pastor, I almost don't even like saying that phrase, life of prayer, because it kind of automatically makes it feel like it's something just out of uh, my reach, you know, or our reach. Unless, of course, you're a professional Christian like me who's a pastor, or, you know, then it's not out of reach. Or maybe you're super spiritual, and so a life of prayer isn't out of your reach. Or maybe you've aspired to become a prayer warrior, right? Doesn't that sound exciting? That's a life of prayer. Otherwise, that kind of life is so far out of reach for the average normal person. But it's not. It's not out of reach. You and I can learn. We can form fresh habits. We can start praying on the go just like Jesus. And the most helpful starting point is to stop compartmentalizing our life and how we spend each day. You know, we spend each day in nice, clearly defined little boxes on our Outlook calendars, don't we? Right? Oh, no, here's when I wake up. Oh, here, have you ever scheduled wake up in your Outlook? I mean, I would ask for a, a show of hands, but I won't embarrass you. And now I'm going to eat breakfast, and now I'm going to, and now I'm going to pray. I mean, we have these nice, this is how the day goes. We must stick to plan. And it's really, really, really hard in those little boxes to find a spot where we're going to pray and do something for our spiritual life. Amen? But the most helpful starting point is to just simply stop compartment, or, you know, stop making those little boxes, especially for prayer. And I will admit, Jesus did have a habit, I mean, clearly, of devoting specific time to the practice of prayer. But prayer can start to permeate our awareness throughout the day if we get rid of that, like, oh, here is this time where I'm going to go meet with God. Instead, we want this to kind of just work its way through the whole dough of our existence. It can do that. Why would we want to do that? Well, obviously, it's because one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt pray. Or or is it, thou shalt not forget to pray? Guess what? It's not in the Ten Commandments. Did you know, it's always entertaining because I'm a pastor, so I look stuff like this up. You're like, does God actually command us to pray? Does the Bible actually say that? I mean, this is a good question. And... um, I mean, we've all wondered that, right? But then the thought occurred to me how grossly this would miss the purpose of our faith. You know, wondering if I have to pray. That's like hearing someone ask, if, if I, do I have to talk to my spouse? I, I really love her, but do I have to talk to her? I mean, it just kind of misses the point, right? Same thing with prayer. Do, does the Bible... Do I, am I actually commanded to pray? Yeah, bad, we're headed down the wrong road if we're thinking that already. Prayer helps to build and develop our relationship with God. Remember the whole God is personal piece? Prayer is how we develop that relationship. Um, sometimes we treat prayer like we treat physical exercise, Right? Physical exercise. I know my doctor says that it's good for me to work out, but I would rather eat a donut during that time instead. I know that I'm not alone. The good news is we can learn to do hard things. There's an almost health-like benefit to prayer. 
I will admit that. It's good for your spiritual health. I know I said that we weren't going to compartmentalize stuff anymore, but sometimes we still do that, right? And exercise makes a good corollary to developing a habit or a life or helping prayer permeate your whole life. Um, You know, it does take discipline. It takes discipline to create and maintain the habit and the routine of praying. Uh, It's kind of like prayer sometimes, it's like they're muscles, right? If they're not real big and strong, you haven't worked them out lately, you're going to have to work back up to that. There's just, this is just how things are, right? Um, And the more that you do prayer, the easier, even the more enjoyable it becomes. And as true as this might be, the spiritual health analogy only goes so far. Prayer is central to our relationship with God. There's no one-size-fits-all method. In fact, I often get stuck in what I would call prayer ruts that affects my relationship with God, and maybe you do too. If you think for just a moment, you think about your most recent prayers. What were they like? Uh, How would you describe them? You know, in your mind, when you think about your most recent prayers, what was happening there? You know, um, do you go through a list, like a checklist with God? Maybe, maybe you feel like you're project managing. Are you making a formal request or formal requests? Maybe your prayers are an airing of grievances. It could be just an occasional check-in that you have with God. Maybe your prayers are more like an informal chat or a rambling conversation. I don't know. Maybe prayer for you feels like this very reverent moment of worship. Uh, It could feel like a refuge or a respite. Maybe your prayers are more like an urgent call for help. Well, if you're like most people, you've probably touched on all of those categories at some point. And for people in constant motion and on the go, it's really, really, really easy to get stuck in a rut. And so often we focus on how to pray when our first question that we should ask is why? Why do you pray? Why I pray is because there's a part of my soul calling out for God. When we pray, we're engaging with the almighty creator of the universe. There's a relationship here. Prayer is more than just our words and our thoughts. It involves our whole self, our emotions, our desires, our struggles, our experiences. There's many styles and kinds and practices of prayer, just as there's many circumstances and occasions and triggers for our prayers. And if you're like me, you probably do a lot of talking during your prayer time. And over the years, I've had to really, really learn that prayer is as much about listening to God as it is about talking to Him. And yes, you can learn how to hear God's voice. Hearing God's voice 
is normal and natural. It's not just for prophets and crazy people that you see on the street. Anyone can hear God's voice. It might take practice. It has its own starting point and learning curve. There's going to be moments of discomfort, unfamiliarity, and doubt. But there will also be moments of peace, clarity, healing, rest, joy, even oneness with God. That's why we pray. I particularly like the motivation for praying that's expressed uh, in the She Reads Truth Bible study that some of us are working through. They write this. They say, prayer is essential for all believers in our journey of faith. How should we pray? What should we keep our mind on as we do? Well, practicing the art of prayer is one of the great rewards of following Jesus over the course of a lifetime. So a couple weeks ago, I was prepping for this sermon, as I mentioned before, a sermon on prayer. I was feeling a little bit of pressure because uh, I had to write this before I left on vacation, and I, uh, that particular day, I wasn't as far along as I had hoped, and I was starting to feel a little anxious about this and the series coming together, and it occurred to me that I'd been so focused on the task of writing about prayer that I hadn't actually made room for prayer. Kind of ironic. And when this occurred to me, I immediately decided that I should pause and pray. Yeah, I'm writing a message series on prayer. I should actually pray about this message, right? And then the strangest thing happened. Almost like the second that I decided I was going to do it. Uh, simultaneously, two other thoughts entered my head. And it had to do with why I should stop and pray. The first thought I would describe as full of shame. It went something like this. You haven't prayed for a message on prayer? You've got to be kidding me. And it went further. It was like, you're a phony. You're a hypocrite. You call yourself a pastor. I'm not making this up. At the same instant, another thought entered my mind. And I would describe that thought as full of invite. It was like, come and see. Which one of those thoughts do you think was from God? The second thought. And I'm sharing this because don't be surprised when and if you decide to pray that you encounter resistance. And that first thought, I mean, that is straight from the pit of hell, right? It's accusatory. It's, it's like a vortex. We want to focus our energy on that. But that's not the Lord. The Lord was, come and see. Come and spend time with me. And so I stiff-armed the first thought, and I headed towards the goal. Of course, God wants to meet me in prayer. He's all around me right now. And if we can overcome that first little hurdle of feeling guilt 
or heaping on shame, or you're not good enough, or you don't know enough to pray, or you don't have time, or whatever it is. I mean, it can happen in a second where you feel the presence of the Lord. And I I wrote down, uh, as I I sat there for just a few minutes quietly, I said, God, of course I want to see you. Of course I want to be with you. And I wrote down this. I have just had the most profound sense of peace and centeredness. The feeling of pressure over not doing enough so far and the anxiety associated with writing this message is gone. Poof. How long did that take me? I actually don't know, but probably less than five minutes. There's a popular book in the 90s that was written. Uh, it was called, you're, you're Too Busy Not to Pray. It's a great title. So often we're trying to fit this in somewhere because in a good way, we want to give God our best shot, right? Oh, I'm going de- to set this aside. I'm going to give it to you. But we can become our own worst enemies. Just do it. Relax. Invite God into that moment. Head towards the goal. Stiff arm all the other stuff on how and why and, you know, that you're a total failure and a spiritual whatever. It's not true. Head towards the goal. You want to be with the Lord. That's why we pray. And Jesus shows us that prayer can happen no matter where we are when we're on the go with one significant caveat. Maybe this is more like a challenge. I don't think Jesus was trying to squeeze more prayer into an already busy life. I think Jesus was squeezing more life into and around his prayers. And until you and I come to grips with that fundamental change in our perspective, we might struggle with prayer. We're not trying to jam God into our lives. We're working our lives around the Lord. That's how we were created to work. And so all of us have a ways to go on that. But there's something attractive in living that way, at least to me. So remember, this is a journey, a journey of faith. We're pilgrims on the road, pilgrims on the path to learning pilgrim prayers. And what better way to start than by ending our time together here this morning, praying as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer. Bruce is going to put it on the screens for us. And we're going to do this together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, please rise for our closing song together.